burping. Are you recording? You should be recording this. You muted that. I'm recording. <laughs> okay. So, my name is Michael. That's Betsy over there, and she's Hi there. burping in the mic. Using, I'm a learning disgusting how to person. Use the mute button. Okay, we'll start for real. Hi, my name is Michael Beamer. I'm the founder of Aspen Neurofeedback, and I'm back again with the gray matter. Blah blah. <laughs> I'm back again with the gray matter podcast with Betsy Carr. Hi, Betsy. Hi, Michael. Have you heard about this new movie called Concussion with, um, what's that guy's name? Will Smith. No, I have not. Yeah, so there's a new movie coming out this Christmas, 2015, and it's about, um, I, I should know more, but I don't know more. I only know that it's about the fight about concussion and safety with the NFL, and it's getting really great reviews. It's amazing how, just how traumatic brain injury since it showed up in the NFL and boxing has really become a mainstream mainstream uh, sense of concern with people. Sure, sure. I hope it's not too little too late. That's my biggest concern. I, even with all of the publicity that concussions are getting, I think it needs to be talked about more. Do you really think it's that big of a deal? Absolutely. I don't know. I, I will tell you last night. So I know I should be gung-ho and be like, yes, it's a big deal. And it is. But yet, I, you know, I don't know in the 70s and 80s that we had this issue, or at least we weren't aware of it. We didn't wear helmets. We didn't wear seatbelts. Um, you know, it was kind of like the pre-Reagan era. So it just seemed like maybe concussions were just not even thought about. Maybe we didn't even know they were happening. Well, and the thing is, is that we're seeing the long-term side effects from them as we saw with the San Diego Chargers player, whose name escapes me at the moment, who recently committed suicide. His mm -hmm. mental instabilities were contributed to his the damage that was seen in his brain. And his story is actually in this movie. Right. I'm sure that's what it's yeah. based off of because there's um, been lots of. But apparently, you know, it's um, the other side of this is that last, you know, I guess I'm a little pessimistic because... I don't really think people take it seriously mm -hmm. in psychology and in medicine. Um, there's not much you can do, so there's not a lot of research behind solving for it or rehabbing it. Mm -hmm. And um, just last night, there was a special on the local news here in Colorado. I think it's Channel 9. And what they did was they took um, three melons, the fruit... Okay. Right. Yes. That's not slang for someone's head, and it, and they put it in three different top-rated helmets, and they dropped them from ten feet, mm -hmm. and all the melons broke. So it was like the highest in uh, ski helmet, the highest in skateboarding and cycling helmet, and then the other one was a football helmet. Mm -hmm. And the kid who was doing the experiment with the news team, he plays football. That was his helmet. I don't think he's going to be playing much football after his parents see the big old crack in the side of the helmet. I mean, in the side of the, the melon. So, apparently, if you use a honeydew melon to mm -hmm. do this, it has the same consistency as our brain. Actually, it's probably more firm than our brain is. Right. At least the the actual brain and not the cranium, the protective casing. Mm -hmm. um, we do love our football, though, so I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to play. Yeah. I'm still going to tune in every Sunday. I love okay. football. Yeah. I I mean, I would think that with all the technology out there, that there's got to be some way to, if you can't always protect the brain, 
because it's so loose inside the skull, there's got to be a way to monitor uh, the trauma that's happening. But we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about traumatic brain injury. It's often call, called TBI. And for a lot of people out there, a lot of researchers are saying that it is a root cause of mental health symptoms. You know, we obviously look at people's past in psychology. It plays a big part in our counseling practices. It plays a big part in the neurofeedback clinic. Um, And we have people who specialize here on staff. They specialize in trauma. And we have for many years, for decades now, been looking at uh, past experiences and the emotional effects. But now we're starting to look more to a more recent encounter where there's been a traumatic brain injury and we're seeing the same type of symptoms. Are you seeing that, Betsy? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest challenges is that mental health professionals don't always take past concussions into consideration, just like neurologists don't take mental health symptoms into consideration as strongly as they should. Uh, One statistic I have outlined here, the SCAT, which is the concussion assessment Mm -hmm. test, funny name, but... That is a terrible name. I know, right? Scat. Isn't that the name for, like... Poop. Poop. (laughs) Someone's got to call them about that. That's ridiculous. Yes. I'm going to write a note. Right. Anyways, mental health symptoms are included on a very minute level, and it's always in their post-assessment. It's never in the moment, after the concussion. How are you feeling mentally? Those... Uh, those metrics aren't taken into consideration until the neurological symptoms have worn off. So they're not asking about like how nervous or anxious you feel. They're not asking, are you dizzy? Are you saying they're just basically doing an initial like rule out assessment? Dizziness, yes. That's more of a neurological symptom. Okay. Uh, Anxiousness isn't assessed until they come back six weeks later. Wait, okay, so when I had a really bad concussion Mm -hmm. last season, John, our producer, was with me, weren't you, when we were skiing? I was snowboarding, and I just fluke accident fell back on my head. And, I mean, I was seeing stars. My eyes were dilated. uh, I felt nauseous. And then I was fine. Well, I felt fine Mm -hmm. about an hour later. But I was pretty shooken up. you, You were with me, weren't you? So are those all the symptoms that we're looking for in traumatic brain injury? Right. What you described is what most people associate with traumatic brain injuries or concussions. Seeing stars, feeling dizzy, blacking out is what it is the symptom that most people measure their concussions by. Okay. I mean, how often have we heard when we ask the question, have you had a concussion or brain injury? People's number one response is, well... I've never blacked out. That's right. Yeah. I heard that this morning. I was, I was meeting with a client, and, and she said, well, I guess it wasn't that bad because I, I, I was awake for the whole thing. Mm. She mm-hmm. had a biking accident, just ran right into like this big, like not a rock, but a mound of dirt, and was dizzy, couldn't get up and stand up for a little while, but she thought because she could stand up and walk, she's like, I wasn't bleeding from my ears, or I could see all these things that... They're so miseducated. If right. That, is that a word, miseducated? Under-educated. Under-educated yeah, something on like that. On the impact. And maybe it's because they can't see it. Right. Maybe that's what it is. So um, the, the symptoms of traumatic brain injury is something where education is definitely lacking uh, among us parents. Right, and right. coaches. And 
treatment is a matter of controversy. There are 16 different guidelines that have been proposed for treating concussions or traumatic brain injuries. Most of them fall under that category of, well, once I feel okay, I'm good to go. I'm good to get back out there on my bike or get back out there on the the football field. Hmm. But the effects can last for a lifetime. You know, we have seen people in the clinics where they have suffered, um, and Betsy, shed some light on this for Mm -hmm. us, but they've had multiple concussions, but it seems like maybe, I don't want to give it a number, but let's say, just for an example, they've had multiple concussions during their soccer career, Mm -hmm. and then they placed football in high school where they played soccer as a younger kid, they got hit pretty hard in the head, and then they have, there seems to be one defining concussion where we see like a major shift in their cognitive ability, their emotional state. Are they building on one another? Is it like, um, is it just one was harder than the rest, or do they actually constantly create weakness in the skull the more you have? They are constantly becoming more susceptible with each new concussion. Uh, We use analogies for different areas of our body when we talk about the brain because other areas of our body are more tangible, but it's like spraining your ankle. Once you've sprained it, it's weak. It's going to be weak Mm. probably for the rest of your life, so you are going to be more susceptible to injuring it again. Wow. Well, let's talk about common mental health impacts um, of co- of these con- of concussions and mm-hmm. TBI. We had someone a few years ago come through the clinic. I remember we saw uh, like this unexplainable. He just be- his behavior just changed overnight. Um, his grades dropped. Teachers, coaches were concerned. He's a high school senior. He also began to have like erratic behavior and an erratic way of handling life like he like had no motivation he also seemed very impulsive if you know everything i'm remembering about him it was all very um short-sighted couldn't plan well couldn't execute really poor executive functioning sure is that what we're talking about just functionally not being able to do well in society or is there more to it than that functioning (laughs) functionally not being able to do well yes in society or whatever it may be, um, that is what we're talking about. People have various symptoms, various ways that a concussion can manifest, but they do tend to be long-lasting patterns of habit. Hmm. The The impulsivity is one that you mentioned that yeah. really is of interest to me because we know what's going on in the brain in terms of electrical frequencies, Uh, impulsivity is caused by a slowness of the brain spending too much time in slower brain frequencies basically your brain isn't communicating messages as efficiently as it could be so that's one of those parameters that we use when we do the QEEG brain mapping uh, whenever we look for signs of past concussions even though the concussion is a singular event or even multiple concussions can cause these symptoms we see the brain recover from that physical uh, the the physical part of the injury 
but the implications on mental health do tend to last a significant period of time. Our brains are learning organs. It is the learning organ. So whatever pattern it's jump-started into because of a concussion tends to hang around for a while because our brains get used to operating in that pattern. Um, so it's, it is one of those things that we see have a very long-term effect. What is the um, is what is this term I've heard a lot about? I guess since I've been noticing the NFL and players, and is this chronic traumatic encephalopathy? Encephalopathy. So encephalitis, I know, is a swelling of the brain. Encephalopathy just means a pathology of the brain. So this is so basically in the 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 player who committed suicide, is, mm-hmm. is, this is what he was diagnosed with. Sure. And so this is chronic inflammation of the brain? Well, chronic the... disease of the brain pathology is okay. disease. some sort of disease. That's right. Okay. Right. Hmm. You know, I've worked with trauma, emotional trauma, uh, severe trauma all around the world for many years. And the way that we're talking about TBI, it sounds a lot like PTSD. It's just like it's, you know, with PTSD, and, and there are debates about this, but in the DSM, it's, it's measured either acutely, right after the event, you notice a change, or six months down the road, it's more chronic. There's two categories. I, what I hear you saying is traumatic brain injury is very much like that. So it's like, am I, I'm doing quotes with my fingers, <laughs> PTSD in quotes for the brain. Sure. So it's either acutely... Your your experience of damage it manifests itself in your behavior and your functioning, mentally, emotionally, and then also down the road, it could also lie dormant until down the road is triggered by some other event, in which it's then impacting you and manifesting itself emotionally, physically, cognitively. Sure. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't think that's uh, really been grasped by the um, by how important how. Im- how much it impacts uh, people's lives acutely and chronically over time or in the immediate event. We kind of think if someone gets hit in the head, they, they stand up, they're looking okay, their eyes aren't dilated, they're good to go. Right. And to, just to highlight how this can become a problem, let's think of poor little Johnny who fell off his bike when he was six years old. When he turns 10, 11, 12, he's suddenly having this misplaced anger and rage um, and most people would attribute that to normal aging processes. He's mm-hmm. a preteen going through hormonal shifts. But how much of that could be related to his traumatic brain injury? I just think it has a lot of implications on how we treat mental health. Well, are there ways to measure and, and discern which one it is? For I mean, all teenagers are angry. They're going through crazy hormone changes. You know, it's. But why are some yeah. more angry than others? You think it's all because of traumatic brain injury? I don't injury? think it's all because of traumatic brain injury, but once you start ruling out family systems, if you can rule that out, if you could rule out uh, pressure, peer pressure, school interactions, genetics. social interactions, genetics, I don't know if there's a huge genetic variance in the way that our hormones are triggered, causing us to mature. Hmm something to look into right i mean but how extreme is this how common is this is it something where it should be 
truly a, a generalized, I'm sorry, a more common measurement for all mental health assessments? I believe so. Okay. I just don't know how the, to quantify how much a traumatic brain injury has played into mental health symptoms is going to be next to impossible with our current imaging modalities. Um, just to quantify how much it has played into mm-hmm. it. Do you find it changes the way that people interact with their community and, and the way that they interact um, relationally? I think that whenever you have a concussion or traumatic brain injury, um, all of these, it's, it's the side effects that are going to impact the way that you interact in your social communities. Um, with, with adolescents, maybe they're not angry or mm-hmm. rageful. Maybe they do become more of the antisocial group. Is there a number on how many of these are happening a year? Well, I do have a number, uh, just estimations from high school football concussions alone. Okay. 250,000 per year. Get out of here. Well, have you seen these recent quarter of a million people? A quarter of a million teenagers. Yeah. How many many teenagers play play football? Well, from where I'm from, I know you're from the South. From where I'm from, it's Every child plays football twice in the South. (laughs) Yeah. Um... I mean, have you seen these recent news stories about the, there was a couple of high school kids in Texas who tackled the referee. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that story? No, no. That poor ref. I mean, he wasn't wearing a helmet at all and these kids blindsided him. One of them tackled him, got him down on the ground, and then the other one came up and dove into him with his helmet. Wait, how old were these kids? High school. I don't know was the exact. Was this a joke? No. Oh, they were mad at him. They were mad at him for using racial slurs. Again, this is Texas, so believable. Um, using I don't racial think she slurs. can say that on the podcast. That sounded racist. I have cousins it's who right. live I'm in Texas, Alabama. and they, we're accused they're of, racist. We're racist all the time, even though we're not. <laughs> um, so, and then this, this kid in New Jersey made a tackle. And as the kid he was tackling was down on the ground, he ripped his helmet off and bashed the kid in his head with the helmet. Okay, these are just kids behaving badly. But think about the implications for the brain. That getting whacked in the head by a helmet. Okay, but I'm going to have to, I'm not disagreeing, but let me just shed a different view on this. Those are kids acting ridiculous, violent against someone. They're going to hurt anybody's part of their body by hitting them with that big old helmet but what we're talking about with traumatic brain injury this is like going unnoticed this sure. is like the ghost that no one sees it's like a little ticking bomb they have multiple concussions in their youth they go into their teenage years they go into their young adulthood and then they have one big one and it changes their life forever yes or no yes okay all right let's move on age differences in brain injury is there a big difference between infants and the elderly? Tell us. Well, between infants and the elderly, you picked out the two that there's I, really not a huge difference I did there. the extreme. I guess yes. we should go back. <laughs> well, to speak on that point, um, you know, infants but and the elderly. But they're kind of similar. 
they become more well, fragile. That's, that's the thing is that they do. They're, they're the most susceptible. Shaken on... elderly syndrome. That's going to be the next thing we start diagnosing. Don't give people any ideas now. I'm not giving them ideas. It's things we need to be looking at. I, you know, we have a producer and he writes things on a whiteboard that we should talk about. But if I can't read what you just wrote, it says, <laughs> it says self- soul motion. What's it say? Self-medicate. Self-medicate. Okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about self-medicating here in a minute after we talk about shaken elderly syndrome. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, Betsy, yes. enlighten yes. us. No. Um, well, so an infant's brain and a senior's brain are very similar in that they're not structurally uh, – they're not as structurally protected. There's, mm-hmm. you know, the baby's brains are still developing. Seniors' brains are doing the opposite of that. Uh, you know, whether it's Alzheimer's or dementia, mm-hmm. the brain matter is likely diminishing. I do remember when my babies were born and going through, like, the the pre-birth classes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? This is not funny. I was waiting for a story. It's, it's, it's a story, but it's, you know, they talk so much about shaking the baby and yeah. how easily it is to cause brain damage that I was afraid to even pick up the baby. I mean, they, they made it such a big deal. And I just don't think my parents had that much genteel caution in the way they picked us up. I just don't think so. It's just the way things are changing. It's, it's obviously their little brains are so fragile, and yet, mm-hmm. I mean, it's no secret having a baby when they come home from the hospital is frustrating. Absolutely. And so I think the more education early on, it's just is great. It's just that why does it stop with just infants? And we talked about with the elderly when the people who are actually committing suicide and suffering from the symptoms of traumatic brain injury in mm-hmm. football and sports is the teenagers and young adults. Right. Well, and and there's a difference between shaken baby syndrome, which is a very, uh, an action with intent to somebody who is not gingerly picking up a child. I mean, there's a difference there. What you described in, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, your parents and the way that they were instructed on how to hold children. Well, I don't think anyone has ever shaken a baby. I don't know if I've never seen a case come through. And I mean, we see a lot of strange cases and a lot of intense cases, but I've never seen one that said this parent knowingly shook the baby hard enough to cause its demise. It's always been impulsive act. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to. It just happened. I couldn't control myself. Right. It seemed to come from that type of behavior. Sure. Sure. Maybe they're suffering from a traumatic brain injury. Well, that's exactly what I have in parentheses here. All Maybe right. it is a cyclical uh, a cyclical manifestation sure. of how concussions hmm. impact our lives. Um, that impulsivity is probably one of the biggest long-term side effects that we see if it goes untreated. There does seem to be um, so, okay, let's move on to adolescents and teenagers. Yes, absolutely. More than 500,000 teenagers? Adolescents. Is that not the same thing? We're talking, okay, so adolescents, the way I defined it, I guess, is 6 to 12. A 6-year-old, I don't think, is an adolescent. That's still a toddler, right? All right, someone look this up. We have Ugh, computers semantics. everywhere. 
What is the definition of adolescence? Let's get that information that's on our fingertips. If you guys haven't checked out our uh, other podcast, Digital Dilemma, make sure you Oh, that look one's good. That, that one's and... much better than this one. <laughs> that's because you weren't known. Yes, get that I mean, while information. While I'm looking up this information, let's let's go back to football. Yes. Is it too violent? I mean, are we going are we getting so scared that we're moving towards like all flag football, professional flag football? I don't think that we're getting that scared. I don't think we're getting scared enough to move in that direction because again, Americans love their football. Would you actually advocate for all flag football? I would not watch it. I'm just being honest. Sure. There's no way I would watch a flag football game. Does your game. son play football? Uh, no. Would you let your son play football? I, it's funny you ask that, but I was just recently asked because he is really <laughs> strong. He's yeah. strong. He's got fast footwork. And I was asked recently, have you considered letting him play football? Mm-hmm. I, haven't made an, um, I haven't answered them yet. Right. Because I don't really want him to. Mm-hmm. Um. I, you know, my first thought was, how do I make the helmets better? Right. You know, and um, and what companies are working on that? And how can they do it? Will they do it in time? Um, I, I just basically asked him. I mean, he's 11 years old. And I asked him, is it something you want to do? And he wasn't that interested. Mm-hmm. It, he's he, Even at 11, he's hearing about kids getting hurt playing football. And he's still at the point where he likes to play soccer. We encourage that for coordination, teamwork. Um, he is interested in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, where I mean, with baseball, is TBI less common? Sure, unless I you mean, get hit in the head with a ball, and right. then whew, that could be that could be bad. That would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I I don't I don't I would not personally I would not be thrilled. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would say no to it. See, my... I'd have to... I, I, honestly, I mean, I'm on the spot. I'd have to really think about it. Right. Uh, my brother, he's a couple years older than me, he wanted to play football in high school, and my dad wouldn't let him. Mm-hmm. He basically said no. Um, he played JFL, so when he was younger, he played lots of football, but once you hit high school, my dad mm-hmm. was like, uh-uh. You know what? I Actually, I forgot about this. My brothers and I in Alabama mm-hmm. were asked to play football, and my parents said no. Right. I re- yeah, that was 1987. Mm-hmm. So even back then, they they were just worried. But, you know, there were kids that were getting hurt in a lot of ways. It wasn't just traumatic brain injury. There was They were getting dehydrated, passing out in the field, right. throwing up, getting heat stroke. Uh, they were breaking bones. Um, I mean, it was... It, it's a very violent sport. Absolutely. But it's also a, it's a staple to our culture. Maybe it's right. a sign that we have a very violent culture. Well, and something I'm sitting here thinking is really the United States is the only country in the entire world that plays football. Wow. And that I'm is, not that's true. And I'm not trying to make this claim but wouldn't it be interesting if the reason why we have so many problems with behaviors, with adolescent behaviors, teenage behaviors, is because of the concussions? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know, but 
these other countries don't seem to have the problems we do in terms of rage, bullying. Um, mm. Maybe maybe it's just because I'm not like listening to BBC news. Yeah, all listen the time. to BBC, <laughs> and it's crazy. And rugby is an international sport, oh, yes. and that's insanely violent. Um, yeah, I think uh, soccer. We still see a lot of traumatic brain injuries with soccer, mm-hmm. and that's, isn't soccer the most uh, popular sport in the world? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but okay. So let's move on right. to at, what is an adolescent. Those are the teenage years between 13 and 19. Uh, so All right, I apologize for putting the wrong word it's okay. on the page. So, but let's talk about little kids then, because kids start playing soccer at 6 and 7. I mean, uh, my youngest is 5. Is he 5? Yeah, I'm really bad with numbers. He's oh 5. My so why is everyone so surprised when you can't remember the age of your children? <laughs> if that's a prerequisite for having them... <laughs> We got a problem. Okay, so even five-year-olds are starting to play Little League soccer, football, baseball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of flying objects, a lot of heads hitting the ground. Um, right, and we talked, you know, we've already mentioned this confusion of normal aging with symptoms of misplaced anger and rage as being a manifestation of a concussion. Um, I think talking about teens, yeah, talking about the traditional definition of adolescence is where things get really interesting because you're dealing with bodies that are bigger. Uh, Mm -hmm. Also, the intensity of the sports increases. We put a lot of focus on football, so let's not, let's deviate from that. Let's talk about skiing. Something about what? Skiing. Please don't get negative on skiing. Well, it's a big thing here. We got a lot of head injuries with skiing. It's true. And, uh, when you are a teenager, suddenly you're hurtling down the mountain with a lot more momentum than you, know, you were when you were a little kid. Yeah. We used to never wear helmets. Now they're required, aren't they? Are yeah. they required on the mountain, John? No. Okay. Not required. Okay. I, I could have sworn. But it's weird if you see somebody without a helmet. Yeah. They're usually the older generation. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that? They're the older. They're the baby boomers. I wear a helmet. I wear a helmet. Of course. But that's to keep my head cold, uh, my head warm. My um, friend of mine was ski patrol when um, Sonny Bono ran to the tree, yeah, killed him, and he had no helmet on. Ugh. My mom gives me the worst fear in the world about skiing. Mm. I like that's one of my limitations when I ski. I'm so freaked out about yeah. running into a tree oh, that I see. just. I don't care about the trees. I can get paralyzed. I, I can avoid trees. I mm-hmm. get worried about the other people. Mm. The other people who are not following the rules and they just barrel right. into you. It's like a really fast-paced Frogger video game <laughs> going down these hills because these people coming down. It's it's just so – you're so vulnerable. Right. I think that's what we're getting at is oh people don't God. realize how vulnerable we actually are. And there's – and now we're even more vulnerable because everyone's wearing a helmet. So they're like little miniature battering rams running all over the mountain. <laughs> sure, sure. It's ridiculous. My dad got taken I don't know out how we by, made a, it this far. by a little kid a couple years ago. A little kid just ran into him. My dad's a big guy, too. It just yeah. knocked him completely out. Knocked your dad out? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so let's go back to adolescence because I have, I have a question, Betsy, is mm-hmm. we know that our our adolescence 
you know, that age group, thir- the teens. Mm-hmm. We're in Colorado. There's a lot of marijuana use. Mm-hmm. There's a, and, and all that's done. I'm not pointing the finger at marijuana. I'm just saying in our teenage years, people experiment with substances. Sure. They might have their first beer. They might try some weed. I'm not advocating any of this or encouraging it at all. I'm just recognizing that during the teenage years, it's a time of discovery and people are trying new things. Mm-hmm. If I take substances with a developing brain and I add a traumatic brain injury, what's that a recipe for? Disaster. Tell me it more. Is a, so the marijuana is really hard to speak to because admittedly, we don't have a lot of research on it. Um, there's some been some pretty strong correlations between um i'm drawing a blank here <laughs> uh short-term memory so loss? yes short-term memory <laughs> abilities i'm going to say loss. well and we're not gets... judging the different substances sure. we're just saying that we're the teenagers try them right okay and so let's say they're trying anything on the whole right. cocktail of drug-induced experience yep. plus they're playing football because a lot of athletes are reportedly using drugs mm-hmm. and their brain's not developed. Right. Well, the substances in general increase your risk for an injury. Drinking makes you less coordinated. You okay. can injure your brain in multiple ways. Uh, it's also making your decision-making processes. It's impairing your decision-making processes. Uh, and if you get a brain injury while your brain is still developing your brain suddenly has to work around this added stress mm-hmm. in order to develop properly. Okay, so the substance abuse or use or exploration just makes us more vulnerable. Sure, right. Okay. right. Although, it, mm-hmm. the, these next statistics here were really surprising to me, and I don't know how much substances play into this, but physical fights among teenagers, 38% of teenagers report being in a physical fight. It doesn't matter if you're playing football or skiing or simply getting into a fist fight. All of those things can mm-hmm. cause brain injury. Wow. I was just shocked with that statistic. 38% seems like a lot of kids who are fighting. I don't know. Am I taking I don't that? know. Like, I wonder how they're defining fighting. I a mean, physical... You know, putting your hands on somebody else with so, aggression. With what? Aggression. Sounds like my massage therapist. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh <laughs> okay. Physical fight, surprisingly big statistics. Substance abuse makes us more vulnerable. Right. Now we're to the elderly. Yes. So the elderly have... A very interesting uh, twist in what's going on in their brain to make them more susceptible. There is a layer of our brain. It's not really a part of our brain. It's a protective sheet, if you will, called the dura. It's kind of what holds the brain together almost. Um, the dura becomes more closely attached to the skull when we start to age. So that means any sort of impact, even very minute impact, mm-hmm the brain is going to be more easily pulled towards the skull, which is what causes a concussion. I mean, that's what happens with concussions or brain injuries. Your your brain makes contact with your skull. Okay. Is there any way to 
I mean, okay. I don't. I've never heard of the Dora before until now. Mm-hmm. So this, the Dora. Is there any way to strengthen it? Uh, not that is there we like found a supplement yet. That you I can wish. Take? If we found well, that out, I, I think we'd be onto something. Maybe. Maybe. Plus that the elderly, they uh, they have their high fall risks. They're they have poor balance. Mm-hmm. It increases the likelihood of falling. Jason tells me all the time. Who's J- Jason? Jason is my significant other. Okay. Don't act like you don't know. Well, him. no, but they don't know. They've never yes, met yes. us. Well, uh, he works. Jason is her significant other, the man <laughs> the behind man the in woman. My life. <laughs> okay, go ahead. He talks about fall risks all the time. It's the highest risk for their their patients. He works in a nursing home. And whenever somebody has a fall, and this is going to sound extremely pessimistic, but their chance of death shoots through the roof. Oh, my. It's one of those things where you really? see somebody fall. I don't want to put numbers on it, but... But it's a high. It's yeah. A, it's like a, so months. there's a high likelihood they're not coming back from that fall. Right. They're oh, not man. recovering. Okay. Yikes. I mean... Hmm. Boy, all of this just makes you just think how vulnerable we are and how many of us spend their lives acting like we're not. Climbing. Right. I mean, especially out here in Colorado, we're mountain biking, cycling. I mean, I cycle all the time, and there's big old vehicles driving by me going 60, 70 miles per hour on the highway. It's crazy. We are much more vulnerable than we think we are. And then one more uh factor that plays into the elderly is the medications that they're on if they're on any sort of blood clotting medication Mm -hmm. and they sustain an injury to the brain uh, it's gonna be really hard for that brain to heal itself wow brain more prone to injury because of this dura pulls away Mm -hmm. much higher mortality rates and i think it's back to uh, similar to like the babies like the infants sure the newborns right and the medications they're on make it harder for them to recover. Mm-hmm. Wow. Either that, it's making it harder for them to recover. Some medications have the effect of, you know, putting their cognitive abilities to a minimum. There's this whole idea of chemical restraint that's circulating around the assisted living communities and how we're not supposed to give antipsychotics to the elderly when mm-hmm. they're being when, when they're in their fits of dementia or whatever it may be that anger or thrashing that's associated with loss of memory okay. it's a very common practice to give antipsychotics to to people who aren't necessarily prescribed antipsychotics for a mental health reason mm. um, i don't have the statistics on that but it is shocking and those just increase that risk of fall because they're out of it they're not processing anything so we talked about the people that are impacted we talked about the accidents that cause the way they're impacted but let's talk about the long-term impact of a population with traumatic brain injury sure what are we looking at and what like how do you know how, how would someone go about looking to see if hey my brother has traumatic brain injury or the guy I'm on the soccer team with? What are they looking for? 
besides the physical symptoms, there are analysis that you can do to measure uh, brain activity. EEG is one of them. We are very familiar with that. With what? EEGs. Uh-huh. Maybe explain that, though, for them. They might not Sure. So an EEG, big fancy word, it's called an electroencephalogram. But what it does is it measures your brain activity, more specifically your electrical brain activity. Uh, We produce brain signals electrically and chemically. So the combination of the two are what makes our brains work. When we see deviations from normal, Uh, normal electrical patterning. Sometimes we can make the conclusions of how a concussion has impacted somebody's behavior. Another great assessment tool, there's functional MRIs out there, which do basically the same thing, but by a measure of blood flow. What about for people who don't have access to these uh, medical devices? Is there any kind of like Mm -hmm. physical symptoms you can be looking for? Like erratic behavior, uh, a rise in, um, like if there's not been a traumatic traumatic event in their life, but there's a rise in substance abuse, mm-hmm. uh, the way they react, um, you know, having a short fuse, um, just decreased performance levels at work, at school. All of those things. I think the biggest thing that people should look for is foggy brain. Foggy brain. Okay. Yeah. I've heard you say this before in yes. the clinic. What is a foggy brain? It, it's just feeling like you're not mentally there. You can, uh, you see things going on around you, you hear things, but you're not making any conclusions about those things. You're not integrating them into your own thought patterns. Um, and and it's, it's hard to describe to somebody who hasn't experienced it, but it's just that lethargy in your brain, mm-hmm. the slowness of thoughts. So what do you think the recommendation is on dealing with traumatic brain injury in a society that, let's be honest, we don't like making uncomfortable change to take care of ourselves? Right. It has to be a combination of multiple things. Education is a big one. I recently coached volleyball. I had to get a concussion certificate in order for just me. So that you knew what to look for. Right. So I knew the physical symptoms, at least. Okay. So it has to be a matter of education, awareness on the uh, medical community as well as the mental health community to start assessing concussions um, and, and start possibly drawing conclusions for erratic behavior because of those concussions. Those are going to be the biggest steps, I think. The more that we look into it, the more focus that can be put on this issue will allow medicine to expand in the ways that we treat concussions. Um, You know, there are some good methods out there already. Brain training, supplementation, all very effective. The proper diets, which I mean, as Americans is Wait, so you're telling me that, what is it? Okay, diet. Big topic. Yes, huge. What... What in our diet would help our brains repair themselves from a traumatic crushing blow? Fats. Fats? Fats, yes. Like, our brain like is omega-3, 6, omega-3s, all that stuff? Omega-3s, uh, the, the one type of omega-3, DHA, is 
the the primary fatty acid that your brain uses in order to construct its structure um and that's a big one anything that can reduce inflammation can help build brains build uh brains after concussions okay but diet, yeah, that's a huge one. The worst thing that the the late 80s and 90s did for us is condone a low-fat diet. We need fat people. So, that that's We don't need huge. fat people. We need to con- <laughs> to ingest fat that's funny. people. Okay, just to <laughs> clarify. Well, so one thing that I th- thought was interesting is um, lately in the clinic we realized that by doing that, the QEG, mm-hmm. we also can see what supplements, what nu- nutritional values are missing in the body according sure. to the brain. Right. So if those were all brought up, would that help the brain to recover? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. If That's those great. supplements were taken, and, and the ones that we recommend are very, uh, very basic, I want to say. They are widely used, or they're at least substances in our body that we are usually deficient for yeah and if you're interested if you're if someone's actually out there listening to this we actually have a list of manufacturers that we like uh, that make supplements that i don't think we can say we endorse them but i'm telling you we like them Mm -hmm. and that will be on the notes of the podcast i'm saying that with a question mark looking at the producer yes okay we can do that so we'll put a few of them up there just off the top of my head i know one is standard processing uh, also based here in Colorado, Vital Nutrients based here in Colorado. And we find that they have a really pure processing system and have uh, pharmaceutical-grade supplements that we like to, to use uh, here with, with our folks going through treatment. Well, and, and the, the easiest way to treat a concussion is to prevent one from happening in the first place. True. Hard but well, that's the easiest way to do it. So what's our takeaway here today? So that, that, that what is the, I had a, a term I wanted to use. What's our key learning piece today? Our key learning piece, at least I would say this, concussions are not a priority in the way we talk about mental health symptoms. Okay, so make concussion education more of a priority Learn more about neurofeedback, how it can benefit mm-hmm. the brain to heal and train to be more efficient and stronger. Look into supplements. We'll have a list on the podcast. Nutrition can be your friend. And once again, prevent it from happening. Prevention and protection in the gear that you wear and the way that you play your sports. Just a little side note. Aren't there people in China walking down the street with helmets on? I have not seen it in my last Have you heard visit. about this, John? I think it's a thing, but anyways. Well, just Google it real quick. All right. People in China. I mean, I'm sure there's someone in China walking around with a helmet on. <laughs> but so, <laughs> for the purpose of protecting now, themselves. Now, I will tell you walk. this. When, when I've, been to, I've been to China a few times and, uh, and traveled abroad, and I, I do notice that they often have uh, medical masks on. And there have been times where I've been on flights and everyone's coughing and the central air is just going and I, and I'll put, I'll put one on too. I just, um, and I know people who swear by them and 
uh, it's just so easy to get sick. So I know that like they've really in in parts of Asia they really wear the masks mm-hmm. to not in to to uh, to breathe in something that can make them sick. So I would not be surprised if helmets have become well. It, it's it's the not the Chinese. It is the Danish. The Danish. Copenhagen. Okay. A walking helmet is a good helmet, is the title of this article. Wait, so someone is actually... A walking helmet is a good helmet? (laughs) Wait. Someone is actually making a helmet for walking? And they're being used. Like, there are signs when they posted around Denmark encouraging people to uh, wear their helmets when they're going up an escalator, for example. Okay, intense promotion of walking helmets for pedestrians has begun in Copenhagen. It seems to be underwritten by an insurance company, and Mm. this logic has been sorely missed. These two I'm reading from the uh, Copenhagen zine. The logic has been sorely missed. They say these two organizations have happily promoted bike helmets, but for pedestrians, uh, because they believe they suffer just as many head injuries, if not more. That's interesting. I mean, but they're also saying just put one on your baby. Put one, put one on when you go on an escalator. When you're throwing away garbage. When you're throwing away garbage. This is really quite something. The walking helm is a good... Safety, traffic safety isn't just for cyclists anymore. Okay, well... We'll have to look into this. Wear your helmets when you walk. Yeah, I, I'm not going to wear a helmet when I walk. But you know what? It's a good idea to take safety seriously. Traumatic brain injury is, in a lot of ways, a silent killer. It impacts you in ways that you don't anticipate. It's really hard to detect. And we need to be more educated and pass that on to our kids and our colleagues. That's it for today. Say bye, Betsy. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Hi, listeners. This is Betsy from the Gray Matter Podcast, inviting you to like our new Facebook page. Just search Gray Matter Podcast, like us, and receive access to all our episodes and pod notes through our SoundCloud. Leave a question or comment for us to answer at the next podcast. We really appreciate hearing from you guys. Take care until then. Thanks. Thanks.